Welcome to the Healing Place podcast, a space filled with inspirational stories of hope, along with practical advice for your healing journey. Your host is Terry Welbrock, trauma warrior, writer, speaker, blogger, therapy dog handler, and founder of the Sammy's Bundles of Hope Project. As a survivor and a thriver, Terry's mission is to shine the light of hope into the world by interviewing insightful guests from across the globe. Please stay tuned at the end of today's interview as we honor our sponsors. The Healing Place podcast is a fiscally sponsored project of Fractured Atlas. Now, here's your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and very excited to have with me today Renee Howitt. And Renee is the founder of COPE24 uh, with a mission of high school students should be taking parenting and or child development classes, uh, changing our parenting experience. So welcome, Renee. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, excited about the work you're doing. Uh, went to your website and just read through everything I could. Watched a video that I told you right beforehand that we hit record. Uh, how many aces are you holding? And wow, wow. I wrote wow on my notes <laughs> with a heart because very powerful. It teared me up. And uh, um, I, I score a 10 out of 10 on aces. And so I'm one of those, I, I like to say a shining example that you can make it through. Uh, yeah, aces, uh, you know, is horrific, but the high ace scores, but you can do the healing work and reach a place of tranquility and joy. Um, so yeah, powerful and I stuff. Think I think that's what we want. We want that not just for ourselves, but for our children. Yes, for sure. Well, and the work you're doing is to teach children. I mean, teach young adults, um, about ACEs, not only in their own life, but then how to prevent, it's really preventative for continuing that cycle. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. So talk to us. Yeah. About your project. Okay. Well, let me just start by saying that I am not a survivor. I grew up in a relatively healthy home, not perfect, but that is one of the things that we talk to students about. No parent is perfect. There's a difference between making parenting mistakes and doing an inventory at the end of the day. How did it go today? You know, am I happy? Is my marriage happy? Are my children happy? And if the answer is no, then I'm the one that has to to seek change, the parent. And um, a lot of parents do that. So they do make mistakes, but they're not as likely to make that same mistake the next day and the next day and the next day. And that's what we deal with in ACEs, where there's really not any effort, maybe because parents don't know. Um, it's They're doing what was done to them. That's all that they know. And, and so I didn't grow up in a home like that. I, I'd like to share with you why I got into this. Sure, field. absolutely. Because if yeah. somebody would have asked me 20 years ago, what will you be doing? This was in no way on my radar. You know, I was a stay-at-home mom. My husband was a very successful banker. Um, at the time that this door opened, this window opened for us, my three daughters were between the ages of seven and 14. So I had them all in school all day. And I was just at that place where I could start. I went back to school. I was a competitive tennis player. 
And then at 2.30, I put on the mom hat and the coach hat and the carpooler hat, and off I went from 2.30 to 8.30 or 9 o'clock every, every day. And so um, my husband is from a big family. He's the youngest of seven kids. His oldest brother, 12 years his senior, lived in Alabama with his wife of 25 years. They had three boys. And he decided to step outside of the marriage and got involved with another woman. And she became pregnant with his child. I don't want to go into all the details, but they both lost their jobs. And he called my husband, who was successful. I mean, we we had it had it made and said help. And so they showed up on our doorstep on Christmas Eve night with this woman's two year old daughter. And she was like seven months pregnant with soon to be our nephew. And they shared what happened. And my husband and I, knowing nothing about child welfare, it's amazing when I look back, we basically did the same thing child welfare does. You know, you evaluate the situation and we decided that if we could get these people healthy so that they could take care of their own children, that would be the best path. We could tell immediately that this woman came from severe neglect and abuse. And we'd never seen it before. It was just that obvious to us. And so my husband convinces his brother, if you will move back to St. Louis, I will get you a good job so that you can financially start getting back on your feet. But he strongly suggested you try to fix your marriage. No matter what you do with your woman's situation, you are responsible for your three sons and this boy that's soon to be born. You are responsible for them. And we are willing to help in those efforts to do that. So he does come back. They leave, they go back home after Christmas and they come back a week before the baby is born, which is in February. And um, they're moving here. But he comes back with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's daughter and his girlfriend's mother. And she's very, very sick. And so then as I get to know this, this woman that he will marry because he's going to divorce his wife. He'll marry this woman. She starts sharing with me. It wasn't just that she was abused. Her mother was abused and her grandmother was abused. And it was just this cycle. So I'm not understanding all of it, but I'm seeing this as a novice. You know, I'm sort of uneducated novice. I'm seeing this. And so we dig in. He gets his brother this great job. The baby's born within a week. We find a place for them to rent. They they move out of our home. They go into this place to live. We put all the appliances in it. We supplement their income because he divorces his wife. So now he's got to support two families. And so even though he's got a good job, because these both of these parents were very educated and they could make, could have been very wealthy. My brother-in-law is a retired colonel from the Air Force and was a prosecuting attorney. And this woman that he got involved with was a doctor. She was a general practitioner. And they met because she had um, committed Medicare fraud and tax evasion. And he was assigned to prosecute her. So it's a kind of a twisted yeah. story. Wow. And, and so she doesn't go to work because she's found guilty and she's under house arrest. And they even had to get permission for her to come to Missouri, which they get, but she can't go to work. So she's going to stay home with this newborn baby and this toddler that I can tell real quickly, things aren't right here. Um, Cause I'm raising three daughters. So it's not been that long that I've dealt with the toddlers. 
So anyway, we do all of that for three years. And this little toddler and our nephew will be at our home a lot. So we're their only support system. So I'm not providing daycare, but up to five times a week, those kids will be in our home. And I'm seeing and hearing things from this, you know, now at this point, she's three years old and then four years old. And I'm hearing things that's going on. And so when these children get to be three and five years old, we realize we're no longer helping lift these people up. We're just um, enabling yes. more bad decisions. And so my husband goes to the couple and says, look, we're done. You're going to lose your job. Your employers called us. You are going to get evicted from this home because we're not going to pay the rent anymore. And the landlord has called us. So what we recommend, because we don't want anything bad to happen to the children, is you two just go off and figure out your life and leave your children with us. And if you never figure things out, you will know that you at least provided for your children because we will give your kids everything that we give ours. And if you get it figured out, you'll know right where your kids are. You can come and get them. And he was not so politely kicked to the curb. And so the next day was when I called the child abuse hotline and I said, look, I just want you to investigate this. If you see what I see, we are willing to be a resource to the state. We're willing to foster, we're even willing to adopt, but you've got to walk us through that because we don't know any of it. That ignited a four-year fight for these kids. And in that four years, that would be three rounds where the kids come and live with us for extended periods of time. And then we will always have to give them back to this mom because the system is about family reunification. Even though I know from the inside, the mom's not any better. So the last time we gave the kids back, they were seven and nine years old. And we haven't seen those kids since then. They are now soon to be 21 and 23 years old. Wow. And we know life has been horrible for them. And the 23-year-old has a child that's two, and she's not married, and she never graduated from high school, even though she's brilliant. And she's trying to make it in the music career, and she actually has talent. But I look at that situation knowing what she's went through, and I think no matter if she's successful or unsuccessful, both ways are probably going to be tragic for the child because she didn't have that character built up that we need and we get from healthy families. So that's my story in a nutshell. So I had been journaling through that whole four years of fighting for these kids because somebody recommended it. I wasn't smart enough to do it on my own, but I took that recommendation. And every morning for four years, I sat at my computer and journaled anything that had happened the day before because Back then, it could take months to get into court, and I've got a bad memory. <laughs> by, by journaling it, it gave credibility to the conversations or whatever I had journaled, but the second time we had to give those kids back, I was so appalled by what I had learned about the system, who I believe should be making the children the priority. Um, I started, I took all those notes that I had journaled, and I began writing. I'm also not a trained writer. I'm not trained to do anything that I've done. That became a manuscript and it subsequently got published into a book that's titled Who's Best Interest? Because that is the common thing we hear in the system is we're doing this because it's in the best interest of the child, which I don't disagree with. If parents can get healthy, that is always the best choice. Yes. But we know that that happens so rarely that most of these parents just figure out how to beat the system 
and the system is about reunification. And so while it may marginally get better, it's not significant most of the time. And there are some very good successful stories, but that probably pops up about one in a thousand, you know, so I, I have trouble with that. And that's why I began writing. Now, when it got published, you know, I saw that going in a whole different direction than it did. What it did was it opened doors that I didn't even know existed. I got a call from the um, director of social services from the state of Missouri, like six months after it was released, saying, I want to meet with you. So I went into our capital city and met with the director who had the director of child welfare, children's division there. And that meeting went well enough that they had me appointed to Missouri's task force on children's justice, the CJA, which about 35 states have a CJA um, and it's written into their statutes. And then after I started serving on that committee, we formed a subcommittee called the Critical Event Review. And the purpose of that committee was to review cases where the worst had happened because the federal government wants to know why. So these cases aren't the random 911 call and police show up and the worst has happened. These people were never on our radar. All of the cases that we reviewed were open cases where child welfare is involved, Judges are involved, lawyers are involved, CASA is involved, uh, CAC is involved, and yet a child is dead or so severely injured they may never be healthy again. And the federal government is looking for what are we seeing systemic problems that we can make changes to. So that was the purpose of the committee work. That was awesome when that happened, but it was probably three years into my um, time that I was serving before we even did that. After my first meeting on the CJA, I was in this room and I was thinking, these people have all the knowledge, all the education, all the work experience that I don't have, and they're no closer to a solution. That's all I was looking for, was how can we make this better yeah. for children? And I woke up within a day or two after the first meeting and thought, I'm going to see if I can go into our schools. And I don't know why that was there. It was a God thing. Yes. Because I've never been a public speaker. I was going to say an angel whisper. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd never been a public speaker. And my we let our children, by this time, our two children are in college, the two oldest and the youngest is in high school. We let our three daughters pick their high school. So I had, they all picked different. So we had, I had three schools to pick from to call. Two of those three invited me in immediately. And the first school that I went into, it was a psychology class. And as I'm speaking, and I'm a nervous wreck, but not telegraphing that, you know, I can see the teacher over in the corner and she's on her computer and she's working. And I'm thinking, that's distractful. That's rude. But after I was done, she came up and said, I just want you to know, I have a cousin that teaches psychology in a neighboring school district. And I sent her an email about what you're doing. This is awesome. And all I was doing was sharing my story to the students who I knew are going to be the future parents. That's what I was doing. I got home. I had an email from that teacher asking me to come in the next week. We set it up. And in that week's time, she invited the family and consumer science teacher and those students into my presentation. So those teachers, family and consumer science, teach parenting, child development, uh, family relations, adult living, sometimes they're the health teacher. Um, th it's awesome. When I was in school, they were called home economics, and they taught cooking and sewing, right. which they still teach and offer, but they have this whole host of life skill classes that they offer that are really relevant to parenting and relationships. 
So she, she invited this whole group of students and that teacher, the facts teacher, posted on Missouri's teacher listserv, an online service to facts teachers across the state, what I was doing. And by the time I got home that day, I had emails from facts teachers from across the state asking me to come into their schools and speak. So this literally took off overnight. Now there was no COPE 24. This was just me going in and sharing my story. And for the next six years, I will leave my home on Sunday night and not be back until Friday, just going from school to school and hotel to hotel and just doing this. But within a year, you know, I was starting to feel the exhaustion because now I'm getting requests from our neighboring states, which there's like seven. And the next year I started getting requests from Georgia, Florida, New York, California. And it was like this, this is not humanly possible for me to get into even every school in our state each year to reach that next group of students. So how can we do this? And then that was when the idea of forming a nonprofit organization and producing videos that I wouldn't need to be there. So I'm not in the videos, but I, my voice is speaking through those videos because I know what connects with kids. And I guess that came from all of my coaching, you know, just figuring out what is the priority here? You know, I always liken that to, I coached softball because that was the sport I played as a kid. As an adult, I played tennis. But I always thought about the kid that, you know, you stuck out in the outfield and could we do something better, you know, to get that child more engaged. And I was asked to get into club coaching or select coaching. So you have all of the kids on the team are really good athletes, but they still don't know the sport. And so the challenge is you've got to teach them everything. What's the priority, you know, and whoever figures out the priorities best, that's the teams that go and win the most. And we went in one season from being the weakest team in this select league to winning it. And I really believe that that was because of the priorities. And so that's how I was attacking this, you know, let's produce these videos that can go out nationwide where I can't, or the other option was to hire speakers. And then you've got a risk. Everybody's not good at speaking. That's, you know, you, you either have it or you don't. So that's when COPE 24 was formed and we started producing um, this, these video components. Our first component was a parenting skill program. And what I did in that was look at my parenting experience. Like what bothered me the most? Because that's where abuse and neglect can happen. That crying, those tantrums in public places, the homework, bedtime was my personal parenting favorite. No child ever wants to go to bed. Um, potty training. And you know, ironically, um, over 35% of all child abuse that happens, happens to children under the age of four. And why is that? Because they cry, they throw tantrums, they don't want to go to bed, and we have to potty train them. Those are very, very stressful triggers. So if, if you don't have parenting skills, that's when you're, it's easy to slip into that anger and, and do things that are not helpful in any way. And so what I was envisioning in my mind was these little short five minute videos where a teacher would start a class and each one of these parenting situations, we had, we hired talent to role play these situations. And 
each one would escalate to abuse, neglect, or dysfunction. And to be honest, most of them were just dysfunctional because you can't even show the kind of abuse I know you've experienced being a 10 on the ACE scoring system. You can't show that in a classroom, but you can show dysfunction. So a five-minute video that escalates and then the teacher stops the video and turns to the class and says, now what went wrong? What other choices did these parents have and what will you do? Because there's no one right answer, just as there's no one wrong answer. So it wasn't about trying to make everybody parent the same way as much as getting them to think, you know, this is what I have witnessed in my home. Were there other choices? And just having that knowledge base. And so the response that we got from teachers, and that was even done so that it could be used in middle school facts classes. So then it was like, okay, we need to do follow-up because when I started talking to kids about the D.A.R.E. program, which all students absolutely love, well, what we know now is that it hasn't made any difference in the drug problem, the smoking problem. So why? So I started asking students, why? If you loved it so much, why didn't it make a difference in your life? And they said, because there was no follow-up in high school. You know, when we really understood what peer pressure was in fifth grade, you think you understand it, but it's not even close to the level that it is in high school. And I thought that's what we need to do. Now we need to focus on one element and and really make it emotional so that these kids who are now more mature can understand. So we did a video on shaken baby. We called it the life sentence. And everybody that was in our shaken baby video, the babies were shaken, but they survived. And what I wanted to show students was, but their lives will never be the same and neither will the parents because they lost it because they didn't know you can just walk away from this baby. You know, you can put in your earbuds, you can step outside. And when you start talking to students about that, they think that's neglect. Well, no, it's not. When you've met all the baby's needs and the baby's still crying and crying, you got to get yourself under control. Then we did one on teen parenting and support systems. And we challenge kids, you know, ask your parents, what would you do if I came home and told you there's a baby on the way? I mean, what would you do if your parents said you're not living here? We wanted kids thinking about that, you know, because we know what you're doing. And most everybody that participated in our video on that, we called that the lifeline. They were using birth control, but they were teenagers. You know, you forget certain elements about birth control And especially if you're also drinking and doing drugs. Then our next video was on drugs and alcohol and parenting. So you can be a great person, but if you're under the influence and you're trying to parent, even if it's just you doze off and go to sleep and your child runs out in the street and gets hit by a car, would you have fallen asleep if you hadn't been drinking beer or wine or smoking some dope? You know, we wanted kids thinking that through. And then... I kept progressing and learning about ACEs and I thought these other videos have been one target element because I think students learn better when you stick on one problem like crying baby or teen parenting or drugs and alcohol. I want to do one on absent fathers and domestic violence and you know we've got this short long list that we want to do but I thought we're going to pause here and we're going to do one on ACEs so that students know we know. We, we know and people care about this. So even if you've never talked to anybody, we know what's going on and we understand. And we're trying to get your teachers to understand 
why you may behave the way you do, why you may be angry and, and be triggered so easily. And so that's, that's what we're doing. That's what COPE24 is doing. Taking that message out to our teenagers who will be the next group of parents. Yeah. Powerful. Wow. You have my head going in a million directions. With <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, well, yeah, just getting it. Well, one, I think what you just said a second ago about acknowledging, we know, we know what some of you kids who are watching this ACEs video uh, have been through that you have survived this. And so one, just honoring them and their own story, but two, when that, when that light is sh shined down upon it, it, it can become such an aha moment for these kids who have never really, they didn't know um, that what they were experiencing was going, could be generational and could be a cycle and that they could be the stop. Right. Right. And so we know that children who are abused and neglected still love their parents and they're still very loyal to their parents. They always want to believe it's going to get better. Now they may be angry at their parents. And so we don't want to send these kids home telling their parents you're doing it the wrong way. We want them to acknowledge that there may be reasons why this is the way their parents were raised and nobody broke that cycle. And we're, we're, we're first off, we want you to understand we now are getting the professionals, all professionals, to understand why kids act the way that they do so that there's more empathy. You're still expected to act in a certain way in school and at work, but instead of addressing your issues in a punitive way, we have uh, a way of acknowledging and working with you and to try and fix those things before you become the parent you know, that you acknowledge because nobody tells us we have to be parents. And so we tell ourselves that it's just kind of the cycle, you know, we're called to be fruitful and multiply. Okay. Well, we get that. That doesn't mean that you have to be a parent. And so you have to get yourself healthy first. And then even when you are healthy or think that you're healthy, nothing's going to put that to the test faster than bringing home a baby who's crying and crying and crying and crying. Boom. That's the test. Yeah. And so we want them to have these skills and know that there are skills available. Like I had this in high school, but I don't remember it because I waited to have kids and now I'm 30 years old. Okay. What did they teach me? And to know that we have these resources available to help you through these and that these periods, while they seem long when you're going through it, pass relatively quickly in the scheme of life. You know, that constant crying only happens for about six months if it happens at all you know, and the terrible twos only happen for a year. You know, we know that stuff. And for kids to understand that life as you know, it changes when you bring home a baby, the definition of fun changes, but life can still be fun. And eventually they're not babies and they're not toddlers. And you do start getting some of your freedoms back. But when you signed on to be a parent, the children were the priority. And we're just trying to, to teach that. And I know in our state, in my state, I don't know about every state, but in the state of Missouri, um, the Department of Education has taken ACES training out to every school. So that's part of their professional development. And I too was doing that for a couple of years. If they contacted me, I would go in and do a, an ACES presentation. And then my presentation changed. Okay, now we all are aware. So now what do we do about this? And so doing about this has to do with how you handle these children in your class. 
And, and you might be a math teacher. You might be an art teacher. Not everybody is a family and consumer science teacher, but everybody needs this skill set. So there are reasons why kids act out and act the way that they do. And if you can hold your temper and show some empathy and work with them, you might be surprised that they're not dumb. Right. Just because they're not focused. And it's hard to focus when you live in chaos. When yes. you come to school exhausted, you haven't slept or you aren't eating especially little kids, they don't know and they don't know how to get food in another way, you know? Yeah. So it's hard to get a child to even get the, the groundwork in elementary school for the higher learning when they come to school and they're exhausted and they're hungry, you know? So we have to address those things. The other yeah. thing that I wanted you to be aware of is, you know, I was working with Child Welfare Children's Division and they were really reluctant to implement my form, my methodology, because they worried about kids that had already been and are being traumatized. And then they come into class and they see one of these emotional videos. That was a legitimate concern. Yeah. And I had nothing to back up that what I was doing was going to work, you know, but now we've been doing this since 2013. We have never had a negative comment from a teacher an administrator, a parent, a student, we've had nothing but accolades from them. So we know that this is having an impact, but it would have a much broader impact if we promoted parenting and child development education. And I'm not even saying promote COPE 24 and the way we do it, because these teachers have dozens of textbooks to choose from. Each teacher gets to pick their own. There's nothing wrong with that. They have all sorts of supplemental material to use. We just provide one, the Code 24 stuff. But there's other. My point is that, but we need to be making this type of education a priority. Secondary only to the core subjects. And, and these facts teachers, as all teachers, spend so much of their time being social workers. You know, they didn't sign up to be social workers. They wanted to be educators. And on the flip side of that, I've seen it within child welfare they spend a significant time of their work being educators, teaching the parenting classes and, you know, offering all those services. And I'm saying there needs to be a marriage here because the social workers aren't trained educators. That's why it was boring when I went to the ACES training. They're not trained to do that. They're doing it because they're being asked to do it. And that's their job. The facts teachers, on the other hand, are not trained social workers. They don't want to be social workers. They want to teach these life skills. And I'm saying there's a marriage that should happen here. You know, they're both paid by the state, by the government. Why aren't we working together when you have these very skilled two groups of people that are trying to overlap each other's jobs? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Right. Beautiful. The other thing that I want to mention, because I'll forget it, <laughs> is when I go out and speak now, I talk a lot about uh, the history of our educational system in the United States. And it has always evolved to meet the needs of our nation. When you think about it, I mean, we started out in one room classrooms, teaching reading, writing, and math. And at some point we, we learned that we also need to be providing science and history. And we also needed to separate our kids by age. You know, that just made sense, but it took a while. We had to evolve to get to that point. And then we transitioned from being an agricultural 
nation to being an industrialized nation. And when that happened, teachers noticed kids were, kids were losing skill sets that they previously had. And so that's when they started adding courses like sewing and cooking and mechanics and carpentry because parents weren't teaching those skills at home anymore. So we added those things. Um, when we came into the world of technology, we had to add keyboarding and internet and searches and, you know, going to the library, I'm sure is completely different than what it was like when I was in school, you know, because do they even have books anymore? Because you can look up everything on the internet and you can research everything from the internet. I, do they even produce Encyclopedia Britannicas anymore? I don't, I don't know. I don't see the Dewey you, decimal, the Dewey decimal cards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we evolved. And what I'm saying now is while this is a hard fight during COVID, we think that COVID is the biggest public health issue, but it's not. Our families, the health of our families is the biggest public health issue that we face in this nation. And getting people to understand that it's not just people who abuse and neglect their children. The fallout from family dysfunction and that generational cycle of family dysfunction is crime, imprisonment, mental health, domestic violence, uh, poverty, homelessness, and addiction. And we're spending in the billions of dollars every year because our families aren't healthy. Now, it doesn't mean 100% of the people that fall in those groups came from unhealthy homes, but we know more than 70% did. So if we made family education a priority over all of the other, um, 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 all the other elective courses that students are offered, um, what difference would that make? in 20 years, which is what Dr. Burke Harris talked about, this goal to reduce ACEs by 50% in the next 20 years. So if we took this kind of education serious, that would be a huge component in reaching that goal. So I just wanted to say that, you know, when I was in junior high, they didn't call it middle school. When I was in junior high, you may remember this, there was a, a presidential award that we could win if we could run the mile, if we could jump so high, if we could throw a shot put, if we could do all of these benchmarks. Find that rope, yeah. That's right. And if we <laughs> met the benchmarks, we actually got a certificate. And that's going back 50 years ago. And, and gym classes were made mandatory. And all of that was an effort to make us more fit as a nation. And, and so when I get asked now, where is the evidence that what I'm saying would work? I turn that back on those people and say, where's the evidence that gym classes have made us any more healthier as a nation? It doesn't exist. And so I'm not in any way suggesting get rid of PE. I'm saying get rid of the mandate. If we got rid of some of these other mandates that we have on our kids for credits to graduate from high school, it would give school administrators more of an opportunity to guide more kids to these parenting and child development classes which by the way, where they're offered, they are offered in most schools, but not all. So there's a place to improve right there. Um, and where they're offered, about 10% of the student population actually takes those classes, but more than 80% of us become parents. So my challenge is always, what other classes can we say, and even some of the core classes, can we say 80% of the students that are taking this class will utilize these skills every single day of their life for more than 20 years. And we can say that about parenting and child development. Yeah. That's why this is so important. 
Wow, that's powerful. What a great way to look at it. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I'm trying to get the nation to to see. Uh, the facts teachers are on board with me. I mean, our stuff is in over 600 school districts at this point. And we even, because of COVID, started um, streaming our yeah. videos. So teachers wouldn't have to purchase it. They could just rent and stream this. So I don't even know how many now because... Unfortunately, the streaming services that you have to use, they consider those teachers their customers and they don't give me the contact information so that I can see, oh, this is a high school that didn't previously use. I don't have access to that information. I've made that case to them. No, those are really our customers. They wouldn't be coming to your service if it wasn't for our videos, but I haven't been successful yet. So, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think... I, I agree with you because if you're wanting to do follow-up and um, you know, really this is a research thing to find out what's working, what's not working. And so that you can better fine tune it and continue to even make these great. Yeah. You know, if there's somebody out there listening to this podcast that um, is a professor, we've had several universities step up and say they want to do a study and then they back away because how do you study it when these kids that we're taking this message to, we know are going to graduate and then you lose contact with them. Yeah. You know, you can't, it's hard to do a study of seven years when these kids may be gone the next year, they might be a senior when they're taking these courses. Right. Certainly the longest you have them is four years. So it's very, a very difficult thing to study like that. Now I have always said, but the, the data that we're most interested in is public data that's already, we already know the stats on child abuse and neglect and uh, how many kids are physically abused, emotionally abused, sexually abused. We keep all of those stats. And if in 20 years, those stats are lowered, we know it's working. Now they say, well, how do we know it was what you're doing? Uh, I'm not trying to say it's the Coke 24. I'm saying it's education. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I like you started out saying we have been in over 250 schools. That's schools. That's not how many times I've been back and how many teachers that I've met at each of those schools and the, and the conferences. And, um, and, and so we know that, that they want to keep doing this and they come back semester after semester, you know, wanting, what, what are you doing now? What are you working on now? Well, keep buying our stuff because that's where our money goes to. I am in a position where I've never had to take a salary. I never want to take a salary. This wasn't, it was missional work for me and it will always be. So producing the video, selling the videos or the renting of the video, all that money goes into the next video production. And when we, when we raise enough money to have 50% of the cost in the bank, that's when I start the next project. Cause it'll take a year just to get participants involved. And then another year to produce it. Well, by that time we should have, the rest of the money. And so that's kind of how we operate. I think uh, ACE of science is really starting to grow in the um, psychology fields of um, universities. And wow, what a great longevity study that would be. Yes. Uh, to get a hold of high school kids who have been through the program or a similar program, some sort of educational program. Right. Really do a follow through into parenting. And um, wow. Yeah. yeah. What I'd a difference to see those, those results. Yeah. So if anybody out there is listening, wants to, uh, you know, kind of brain work on how we could do some kind of study like that, because 
you know, everybody wants evidence-based for the government right. to get involved. It's got to be evidence-based. And like I said, it's a real concern to child welfare who only works with children who have been traumatized. Now you're going to take them and put them in a class without a social worker and maybe re-traumatize them. And I'm saying to them, but that's not what the evidence is showing us. We're right. not seeing kids break down. We're not yeah. seeing that. It's, it's getting kids to open up. So uh, you have to have resources in the school when the student reveals, you know, I didn't know this was, I didn't know that my father or my mom's boyfriend shouldn't be touching me. You know, I didn't know that. And now they go to the school and they report that, well, there's got to be resources to help that child, yeah. you know? So, and we do know that those things have happened. So that's a good thing. It is a good thing. I worked, uh, when I was living in Cincinnati, I worked in a mental health agency and I love it because that mental health agency um, was in schools. So my job was to go to, I was assigned to three different schools and I would go to those various schools throughout the week and meet with children who either a teacher had done a referral because something was going on with the child in the classroom or um, a parent had asked for us to be involved. But um, I love the fact that really this agency was working with the school system in trying to make an impact in these children's lives and to help the, the staff and the teachers as well. So, yeah. Exactly. It is about keeping growing. I have been um, trying to spread, expand my network greatly on LinkedIn with school administrators and school psychologists. Yeah. Because I believe that video or how many aces are you holding video could be used on a professional development day, not just with students, but with the staff oh. so that they understand. Um, people that are survivors will understand how big this aces thing is and that people do care. And people that never went through this and they don't understand their students behavior can begin to have some empathy for why you see certain behaviors in certain kids because here's another thing that people really don't think about. If you have been a career teacher, educator, and your career has happened in the same school district, so you're maybe at the end of your career, you've taught for 30, 35 years, even 25 years, you're probably on the third generation of kids from the same family. And they know what we're talking about when we say the cycle, because they see good cycles too. You know, they see this cycle of dysfunction happens in that family. I had the mother, I had the father, you know, I had the grandfather, you know, whatever. Or I went to school with, cause I grew up in this community. That family's always been dysfunctional, but they also see families where service oriented, you know, like police officers tend to produce police officers, generational or teachers or firefighters, or they see the good stuff as well. Yeah. Teachers are on the front line. Yeah. Beautiful. So, um, yeah, well, one thing that, that comes to mind is, and I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary Paper Tigers um, yes. by Jim Sportleader. I've had Jim on the show twice. We did a Facebook Live and then we've had, um, um, yeah, he's, well, the, the work Jim Sportleader did in Washington um, with his school, and it went from that punitive um, approach to students to the compassionate um, approach. And really, I mean, I consider him the trauma-informed guru. Um, but yeah, I mean, in his distribution of that, of that um, 
documentary has just been wonderful. And I would love to see that happen with this, with this video of yours as well, because again, just. So, you know, I was inspired by that video. Um, when I was introduced to that video, I got it. I don't even remember how I got it. And I sat and watched it by myself. And um, so here were the things that stood out because we'd already produced our parenting skill program and two full length documentaries. So I knew a lot about videography and I thought the videography in this is really troubling, but maybe that was on purpose because these kids are troubled. So maybe that was a creative, I never did get the answer to that question. So that stood out to me, but what really stood out to me was the number of kids. I can still remember one young man, he had long hair, who's sort of a handsome man. He couldn't even look at the camera. His eyes fluttered the whole time. And I just thought, oh my gosh, he's so traumatized. And actually you will see that in one of the men in our video. He, he does not look at the camera and he rocks back and forth. And it's just, that's how deep the trauma is. But that's when I really, I mean, it was just a really overall very effective video. And I still don't know you know, cause it, some of it, it's like, it, it's almost ADHD, the camera's here and it's everywhere. But I thought maybe that they did that because that's what's going on in the minds of these kids. Yeah. yeah. They go through life like that. And then we wonder why they can't sit still in the classroom. Right. And it is, it is interesting to me how, how we, we connect with someone um, almost on a soul level, because I know in, in your video, uh, the the gentleman with the bandana around mm -hmm. his head. And when he starts to tear up and he's talking about, you know, how he was beaten by his parents. And I just, my, my heart connected to his and it hurt for him and I teared up and it was, yeah, it was very powerful. Yeah, he's the one that really struggled. There's another man in the video that you don't see it in the trailer. He's um, the other black man that's yeah. in the video. Um. We used his, we interviewed him for both sides, the personal testimony and professional. And his personal testimony was so awesome because he's yeah. very well-spoken. Um, we wanted that story. And it's not until later in the interview, we tell the students, this guy has got a PhD. He's a therapist. You know, we want them to see there is hope. Yeah. You can become, you can have a successful life. I mean, and the, and the trauma will always be with you and it's going to affect everything in your life, but that doesn't mean your life's over. Right. You know, you still can be successful. You know, he was just, his life oh. was horrible. Yeah. When he started, when he started talking about the, the, you know, the voice of his abuser and saying, you know, I am black, I am gay, I am. And in, in the fact, you know, how it was used against him, um, in that he can now recognize that. That was very, very powerful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that that guy actually went, when he got out of prison, I don't know if in the trailer it reveals to you he went to prison. It does not. Okay. He end up, ends up going to prison and he serves 18 months. And when he's in prison is when he has this awakening. I don't want to live like this anymore. And so he starts reading. And I think while he was in the prison, he reads the Bible a lot. And I don't know that he's really a Christian, but he does have some acceptance of a faith and a belief. I don't know exactly what it is, but he also realized he was smart for the first time in his life. And he gets out of prison 
and he goes starts to go to school. He goes to school for 10 straight years through summer, through Christmas break. That's he just went straight from, you know, just a high school diploma to Ph.D. And it took him 10 years. How many people could be dedicated to do that? That's how motivated he was to make this change in his life. And now, you know, financially, he said professionally, he said, does he still have emotional issues? Well, you can't go through that and not. Right. You know, but that doesn't have to mean his whole life is ruined. Right. Well, and I think what I, what I loved about him, he's, he has such a gentle spirit and a gentle energy. And to now know that about him is just, wow. I mean, very impactful. Yes. Yeah. And I'm still kind of discouraged that more of the psychiatric community hasn't gotten involved in ACEs yet. I'm amazed at therapists that I talk to that don't know. Now, you know, they have some knowledge of what we're talking about, but that not the term ACEs, not knowledge of the study. And that's kind of worrisome for me. Like, I think that whole world, that should be part of the educational, you know, um, undergraduate and graduate education. I even think that if you're studying education to be a teacher in, in, um, for your bachelor's degree, there should be a course in ACEs. Oh, you're, you're dealing with children. Yes. You, yes. you need this is so layered, you know, starting from what I'm doing with our kids, but then in the professional field. And right. if you're dealing with human beings, there should be some education about this. Right. I haven't been, I haven't been with the mental health agency that I was with for a few years and I still receive private messages or texts or phone calls from teacher friends of mine who say, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm so frustrated. I, I'm, I, I have this kiddo and, and so I'll direct them to an agency or, you know, have them look at this or read this or because they are, it, it, it's more than just teaching at this point. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, they do need, yeah, the support system in place. Yeah. And the education. You know, when I, I think back of when I was in school, schools didn't have social workers. They didn't have, you know, school psychologists, they didn't have that, you know, you just had counselors. And that tells you that the schools are aware we've got a huge student um, behavioral problems so that they're staffing these people full time now. That's good. But that's just more uh, evidence for us that we've got to fix our families. That's the root of all of these social issues that our nation's dealing with. You know, recently, since we've dealt with so much anger this year, um, I have been talking in my podcast, which is really the only thing that we can do at this point, because schools aren't inviting anybody to speak. There's no conferences to go speak at. But I always try to say, to be a healthy parent, you have to provide four things. You have to be able to protect, provide, love, and nurture. And if one of those four components is missing, there is going to be a problem at some point in your child's life, maybe in their adult life, but all four of those components have to be there. And, um, and so I, I, I'm promoting that all the time when I'm out speaking now, and I was going to go somewhere else with that. And I can't remember where I was going to go with that, but um, that's why I have to say things when it immediately pops in. I'm right there. I call it menopause brain. So I get it. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> no, I, it's just so important that we be providing those those four components. I'll tell you another thing that we're trying very hard to do is we need to be making this kind of education available in our military and in prisons. And I know that we're doing some of that work in both places, um, but I actually am working with some people to start because, you know, when you think about our military, most of the people that are in the military, um, they come out of high school and they don't know what they want to do. You know, they don't know that they want to go to a tech school because they don't know what they would like. Do I want to be a plumber? Do I want to be a carpenter? They don't know that. They also don't know that they qualify to go to a college. And so they sign up and they go to the military and the military trains men and women to be soldiers. Yeah. That's what we need them to be able to do. But at some point, everybody in the military decides they want to get out. It might be in four years. It might be in eight years. They might retire. But at some point, they're going to come back to the civilian community. And that kind of mentality doesn't work in civilian life to be a soldier. And so they've recognized that. And they're starting to try and offer up and prepare people, yeah. people that get out of prison. You know, if you go back to the same neighborhood, the same friends, the same family, they want the person that left them. And so even though you know now that you can change your life and you can do things differently, but if we're not getting them in a place where they can go live someplace differently, they can start a different social network. You know, those are issues. I know where I was going with the provide, protect and um, love and nurture you can do all four of those things. Let's just say you're, you're really trying to be a good parent, but you really had a lot of aces in your childhood and you're angry about that, okay? There is a lot of emotional anger that comes with those things. So you're raising these children and you're providing everything and you're protecting them because you're not gonna let anybody harm your child because you were harmed. You're loving them, you're reading to them, you're playing games with them, you're just nurturing them. But if you're angry, at the things that happen to you, you're going to raise angry children. So we, we've just, it's just getting people to understand that and recognizing that in their own lives. Yeah. You know how I talk to my children because I'm angry and that's a lot of what has happened. And even right now that's happening is because I'm angry. Okay. Well, anger is a, a legitimate emotional emotion that we all get to have, but lashing out because I'm angry that's where we cross a line Yeah, and, and look at our nation. Everybody thinks that's okay to do. And it's not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I say it all the time by healing ourselves. I mean, we, we are really healing the universe. We're healing those around us. We're healing, helping our children here. We'll heal our parents heal. And yeah. 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 All right. So anything else that you wanted to touch upon that we haven't had an opportunity to. I think we did good. We did. <laughs> yeah. I'm really trying to get the nation to understand we have these teachers. We have these facts teachers that are a great resource. You know, out of all those schools that I've been to and all of those hundreds of teachers that I've met, I've only met one facts teacher that was like not good. You know, it was a very small rural community. I'm, they really didn't have a lot of options. And she's in retirement now. And not because she was a bad person. She just wasn't good at what she did. And there were teachers that I would meet going in before the kids came in and think, mm. but when the kids came in, I could see, it doesn't matter what I think. These kids think she's great. Yeah. And they all just, this is a passion. They could teach cooking. 
They could teach sewing. They could have taught, taught science. They've chosen parenting and child development because that's what they're passionate about and they see this need. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. So how do people find you, get a hold of you? They can find me at cope24.com. Uh, my contact information is all over there. I'm on Facebook under Cope24. I'm on LinkedIn under Renee Howitt. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, but I'll just be honest. I don't use them very often. <laughs> Twitter, I just didn't, you know, I didn't get at first. It was just too many short characters. You couldn't make it work. Right. And Instagram, I'm just of that generation that's not good at taking pictures from here. You got to do it all from your phone. Right. And I just haven't mastered that. And I don't care to. So no, I'm right there. Hold of me. Facebook is awesome. And um, just go to the website. Okay. And then they can contact me. I'm at Renee Howitt at Coke24.com is my email address. So, okay. Wonderful. All right. Well, it's been just an honor to have you here and thank you for the beautiful work you're doing in the world to, yeah, shine that light of hope. So thank you. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone, thank you for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today to the Healing Place podcast with your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about Terry, her mission, and the Hope for Healing journey, visit Terry's website at www.terrywellbrock.com. Thank you for liking, commenting, sharing, and offering your reviews on our YouTube channel, audio outlets, and Facebook page. And as Terry reminds us, until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself.